and welcome to another edition of All Things Wise and Wonderful, an animal welfare podcast. My name is Jodie Gordon, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Linneman. Hello, Hen. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Um, here we are again uh, for episode number four. Has been a little while since the last one. Lots has happened since then. Yeah. So um, we'll go over a couple of things a bit later on the news, but we've had the Animal Welfare Sentencing Bill that's passed through government now. And uh, just last week, the government announced their action plan for animal welfare. Um, so all those details we will come with later. Let's see what the government has got set out for us. But this week's podcast is all about choosing the right pet. So yeah, we are going to look at everything from what you need to know, what you need to think about, costs, and we'll go over some of the main species. Yeah, it's a great subject because of course everybody's looking for a pet. If they haven't already got one already, uh, people are looking for new additions to their They house. certainly are and we've seen in lockdown um, over the last 12 months, uh, statistics recently released showing that 3 million puppies have been purchased since last March. Now that is insane. That is, that really is insane. I think the, when you look at uh, populations of dogs in this country vary, general consensus is somewhere between 10 and 12 million dogs. So, and three million in, in the last year. And three million in the last year, so that's, you know. And this is obviously only the dogs that we know about. That's a 15 to 20% increase in population. That's huge. Wow. So dogs have been clearly very popular. And I think uh, many other pets have been on people's lists as well. So yeah. basically, if, if you out there are thinking about getting a new pet, what do you need to think about? How do you choose the perfect pet for you? How do you choose the perfect pet? And I think one of the things we have to really bear in mind in the UK is the legislation is there to protect animals, but there is nothing to stop anybody going out and buying most pets. Yeah. You can go out and buy dogs, obviously, cats, small rodents, birds. Exotics. Exotics, snakes, reptiles, frogs. Fish. Goats. You name it. Goats. Yeah, pigs. People are keeping pigs as pets these yeah. days. Um, the micro pig. The, the not micro so pig. micro, micro pig. <laughs> and the not so micro pig. So, all of these things cost money. And what happens when you spend money? There's people out there exploiting those of you that want to spend your money. So, um, I think the first thing when we're looking at, at, at any pet is... Um, look at your reason why you're, why you're choosing a pet. Really. Yeah. And, and lots of pets come in and out of trend because of things. The 90s saw a huge increase in the, in the amount of terrapins. Terrapins yeah. were the big pet of the 90s because of teenage mutant ninja turtles. Absolutely. As and a prime example. Yeah. And then when the kids grew up, nobody knew what to do with their terrapin because it lived so long. And uh, certainly in London, many of them got dumped into public ponds illegally and they destroyed wildlife and habitat and we see that though through the trend of choosing what sort of dog you get <laughs> unfortunately advertising loves a brachycephalic breed you see them all over um, advertisements on the front of a t-shirt on a handbag on socks 
Everything. On insurance com- car Ins- insurance car companies. Car insurance companies. Absolutely everywhere. And you can, I mean, you understand why, because they have these big faces um, that speak straight to you. Um, but that has made a huge difference to the number of Bacchus being sold in the UK now. Yep. Well, worldwide, really. So, um, yes, fashion is definitely something. And for those of you that don't understand Bacchus it's the short-nosed... Yeah, the snub, the snub nosed the dogs. Snub nosed dogs that um, come with all their health problems, which we'll touch on a little bit. So, I think, um, interestingly, I hear a lot about easy pets. We've mm. got this because it's an easy pet. Uh, the classic example is hamsters for their children. You know, people want to buy a pet for their child that's easy so that their child can learn how to look after an animal. But I don't believe that there's any animal that's easy as such. Some are easier than others. So I think the big thing is that whatever somebody chooses um, when it comes to choosing a pet is very much dependent on that person or that family's ability to be able to provide for its needs. Which yeah, is, and you're going to go into the needs in more detail. Yeah, so the legislation, as it, as it sets out, one of the main things is that anyone who keeps an animal... Um, or is responsible for it, must provide for its needs. And those needs are set out to include its need for a suitable diet, um, which is the obvious one, really. Um, Everyone thinks, oh, of course, I know I need to feed my animal. But actually, it's a little bit more complex than that. You have to understand what a balanced diet is for the animal that you you want to look after and how much that takes. So the issues with that we see, and, and you'll see it firsthand, is dog obesity. So dog obesity is absolutely huge. People not understanding um, how much to feed their dog um, and, and and what to feed their dogs, especially during lockdown. We have seen a huge increase in weight in dogs. And you would think that they would be losing weight because people have been walking and walking and walking. But it's the opposite. People have been at home with their dogs. How do you want to treat your dog? You want to treat your dog with a biscuit. And if you've got your dog begging at your heels all day, it's a huge thing. It's that realisation that you can kill your dog with kindness. And it does come through kindness because I don't believe anyone really actually wants to make their dog obese. It's just an understanding on actually it's our responsibility. They are not able to go to the fridge themselves and make themselves a healthy meal. And we're not saying you can't treat your dog. No, I love treating my dog. Gosh. But we have to, it's people's understanding that if you feed your dog a set meal a day, yeah. they look at the package and it says, as part of a balanced diet. Yeah. So it's telling you that the dog needs, I don't know, 500 grams of whatever food you're giving it. Yeah. But that's its complete meal for all day. It's not 500 grams and then you give it a load of treats. Yeah. Because that's where the problem comes is people are not balancing the diet. And from what I understand then is once you overfeed, yeah. it affects dogs far greater, doesn't it? And actually cats for that matter and yeah. other animals. It, it really does affect them. Um, I mean... What does a dog want to do? You know, they do have, find happiness in companionship. But obviously, one of the things that animals need to do to be happy is to move freely and without pain and comfortably. And if you are packing in the pounds and you're sometimes... I, I often equate to people if they come in with a, an overweight dog because people don't see it. Um, I will sometimes say, unfortunately, your dog would be the equivalent to me being 20 stone. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a dog nearly twice what it should weigh. I think is it something like, well, I think it varies, but something like 70, 80% of our dogs are overweight. Yeah. 
so that's a lot of health problems. Yeah, so to go to the you know we've mentioned before, obviously joint disease, heart disease, diabetes, all these sort of things. But it's it's also the fact that the dog or cat is not able to behave, and this is one of your other um, yep. things that you're going to bring up is is actually not able to behave in the way that it should because it's carrying too much weight. So that's cats and dogs. Other animals, and we talked about exotics, have far more. They don't have far more complex dietary needs. Everybody needs a complex, balanced diet that comes with different vitamins. Yeah. Uh, things that they would catch from, from the wild that they're not necessarily going to get from standard food. Yeah. And actually, food is often linked directly to behaviour and health, not just obviously what you've touched on, but your grazing animals. Mm. You know, you could give a grazing animal its food all in one little meal. It'll, it'll swallow down in 10 minutes. Yeah. But and then actually, it doesn't have the ability to graze and that has health effects with regards to its teeth. Yeah. And actually with its gut management, because gut management, from what I understand, you need grazing over the long period as it does. Yeah. So if we're talking about, let's talk about a, a rabbit, for instance, one of the most common um, animals that we see at the vet practice, which I feel often comes in under a welfare issue rabbits have teeth that continue to grow they don't stop growing um, so they constantly need to be chewing to wear down their teeth so if you're feeding for instance that that food that looks like muesli do you, yeah, yeah what they'll do is they'll pick out the bits that they like and not the other bits which maybe are the higher fiber bits to wear down their teeth and you'll end up getting a, a, a non-balanced diet poor dental care um, and with that comes gut stasis now there are two well there's one thing that a rabbit needs to do and that's have a gut that never stops um if a guts slow down in a rabbit you have a sick sick rabbit so through bad teeth you get bad guts you get a very sick rabbit and we see a lot of that and this runs through all grazing animals from yeah. the small ones to the, so the big horses. ones exactly horses. so we're talking about horses here they're exactly the same their teeth so horses and rabbits very closely related teeth keep growing you have to be wearing those teeth down if the teeth don't work the gut doesn't work you have a sick animal um so it is just so important that they're on the right diet constantly so diet and that's the first one. Oh, i wanted to go back to sorry carnivores cats diets people wanting to have vegetarian cats you can't do it <laughs> um cats cannot be vegetarians um dogs can't be really although they sort of can but we really don't advise it um cats will get severe heart disease if you give them a vegetarian diet so please 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 feed your cats um a meaty well-balanced diet and the same with your dogs try not to go vegetarian if you can possibly help it i have seen heart disease in dogs from vegetarianism so there you go yeah. it's not a simple transfer it can be done but it's very complex yeah. very complex very difficult to maintain and i'm sure that if somebody up there wants to send us the full regime of how they think you can turn a cat vegetarian We'd be more than happy to take a look at it and uh, bring yeah, it and up. Yeah, if you've got but any questions about it, I'm happy. Yeah, but it's not something ever to be recommended no. as to change your cat just like that, or your dog for that matter. The next one is the need for suitable environments. And this covers everything from the amount of space you're going to need for your pet. Yeah. Okay, dogs, can you give them enough space to exercise? Now, you can keep a dog in a flat. 
Right? I'm not saying you shouldn't. You can keep a cat in a flat. Yep. Um, but if you need to take your dog out for exercise, you probably need to take it out more because you can't let it out in the garden. Yes. Okay, we'll come on to exercise in a minute anyway. Um, Temperature-wise, there are some animals that basically don't do well with a British winter. There are some animals that don't do well in the hot summer. Yeah. Um, and it's understanding that need. Uh, humidity comes into it and a safe and secure environment as well that comes to it. So all of those things need to be considered. Think about the size of the animal that you're going to have and the space that you can provide for it. And it doesn't always match up. So, for instance, if you have a dog that's maybe quite a sedentary dog and that's quite happy to sleep quite a lot of the day, it mm. isn't necessarily, um, you know, kind of a high-energy dog. Mm. You don't need a huge place to have that dog. So, you know, I can tell you now that our pug that is absolutely tiny, she never stops. Never, ever, ever stops. Whereas our big greyhound, he just lies on his back all day in his bed. So, you know, in terms of the space that they take up, it's not a direct correlation. Don't be deceived by the size of the animal. Um, Yeah, quite. Um, And I think that that's that's quite important. The other thing talking about, for instance, flats, living in a flat, um, your dog won't be young forever. That's something to bear in mind. If you don't have a lift... Um, a large breed dog on a top floor flat and once it starts getting old even actually when it's a puppy and shouldn't be doing the stairs um, you know these sort of these yep. are the sort of things to think about I have seen quite a few large breed dogs um, top floor flats and I think the big thing as well is look every every animal that you have when we talk about suitable environment needs a getaway yeah right even if it's an animal that loves company mm-hmm. or is a herd animal or is a, an animal that can't live alone Every animal needs the ability to get away, whether it be from us or from its companions. Privacy. Uh, Privacy. And I think that's really important is can you provide enough space for them to be able to do that? Whatever it is, you know, um, whether it be uh, um, kind of horses, goats, pigs, or all those kinds of things. Or a rock place for a snake or... Or, yeah, all the way down to our small little snakes that... um, And actually... The thing with exotics is they can't tell us how they're feeling in the yeah. same ways. Uh, so you just have to understand them far better. Yeah. The next thing is their need for suitable company. And that is about whether um, they are a social species, um, uh, whether we sh- um, they're predator and prey being mixed together and how they would get on. And often people say, even with the prey species, that that can habituate to a predator sometimes the predator can't habituate to the prey so Mm -hmm. it's not just about the prey what you don't want is a dog getting wound up by the fact that there's rabbits in the garden yeah even though the rabbit can cope with it the dog might not be able to Uh, you know it's those kinds of things and understanding the relationship between the two dogs and cats mixing together many do many don't um and understanding all of those things um like i talk about rabbits of social species so you shouldn't really have one rabbit you need to go out and get at least two whereas you take your reptiles many reptiles are solitary animals that don't require company so that's not the most important thing for them however we go back to what i just said they also need to be able to get away Um, even if they're living alone they're not living alone because the owner is there so they may want to get away 
and it's that desire to want to be able to do so that you know children come into this very much with regards to this idea of socializing and not socializing and children don't understand this uh, necessarily the social or in fact all the other needs of animals but the social yeah. needs and children leaving animals alone a little bit so and yeah. giving them their space the suitable company is one of them the need to express normal behavior now this is actually i think one of the big areas that people sometimes struggle to understand is behaviours of animals because it's not easily identifiable. And people interpret it differently. Um, although, although not necessarily accurately, people have opinions on what is normal behaviour. Yeah, and I think we tend to anthropomorphise. Look at that, I've got that word out all in one. Anthropomorphise animals and put our own emotions and our own desires onto an animal yeah uh, when that's not what they want we always talk about sorry people always talk about a dog being happy because it's wagging its tail but a dog yeah, wags its tail this, in yeah. many different ways and and signals many different things because um they'll always wag the tail at you uh, when you're going to feed them they they're going to look happy because they're thinking that actually Things are going to get better for them, or things are good for them now. Yeah. But sometimes you have to understand that actually they're not happy. They're just hoping for happiness. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's um, it, it's quite poignant. It's quite sad. Sorry. <laughs> um, yes, because you you know we get dismissive behaviour as well. Yeah. We get a lot of that. Um, and actually, you know, the the one thing that you kind of think is a dog that comes over to you and lies down and rolls over onto its back. Oh, look how happy it is. It's really happy and lovely. Well, it's a tickle on it's, the tummy. Yeah, no, it's the complete opposite, isn't it? It comes over and it's completely submissive. And actually, what I remember learning very, you know, clearly when I was working with the Dogs Trust was if a dog came over to me and did that, I didn't I didn't touch it. Mm. I waited for it to get up and um, and look at me and get up before I interacted with it so that we were on a more of a level part with each other. So, um, yes, understanding behaviour, not only kind of allowing them to display normal behaviour, because that is a normal behaviour that that dog is displaying, yep. <laughs> of course, but um, understanding that behaviour. Yeah, and it's, you know, and those, those different nuances such as, you know, because human behaviour, we always search eye contact. Yeah. You know, very much for familiarity. Yeah, and when you're comfortable, you'll you'll make eye contact with the people you're comfortable with. Um, and children very much look for eye contact, but you often get children that will stare at a dog, wondering why it won't stare back. Yeah. So they continue to stare and continue to stare. Mm-hmm. And of course, for a dog being stared at, it's it basically is a threat as much as anything. Yeah. And it can and it can react either of two ways. It it can see it for what it is and cower away, or it can see it as a threat. And actually become aggressive itself to almost defend that fight or flight. Yeah. So it's understanding those things. And all animals have these different behaviours which you need to understand. Because actually I don't think you can provide for the other things that it requires if you don't understand what its behavioural requirements are. Yeah. Whether that be, you know, snakes that um, their behaviour about... um, you know, whether they're a climber, so they need arboreal, you know, an arboreal snake that yeah. needs a 3D environment because it has the, it needs to climb. 
That's its drivers to be high. Yeah. Birds I see so often, birds that are climbing and clinging to the top of a cage. Yeah. Because they're probably stressed. So their first reaction is to get as high as possible because then they feel more comfortable higher up. So instead of saying, oh, isn't it funny, it's hanging upside down, it's actually let's get that bird higher up because it's gone as high as it can and it just wants to go higher. Yeah. So understanding behavioural need, I think, is very important. And even things such as simple as nocturnal and diurnal animals, (laughs) right? Hamsters is the classic, isn't it? Getting your kid a hamster. Buying your kid a hamster because you want to teach it how to look after an animal and it sleeps all day and doesn't do anything. And it's in the wheel all night. And it's in the wheel all night. There's two things about that. Firstly, we buy them these tiny little cages and hamsters, you know, in their natural environment, will, will travel long distances in search of food and doing what they've done and they come back to a nest. You give them a six inch by 12 inch box it needs to exercise and it needs to get out and i don't mean put it in a plastic ball and let it run around in that because that's not good (laughs) that's basically running around in an even smaller cage wondering how to get out yeah you know how how can you give a hamster actually what it requires for its natural behaviors you need to give it a big space it does bring to the question bring the question sorry should we be having these animals I think anybody has the ability to be able to um, have any pet as long as they understand how to meet its needs. Yes. So it's understanding what its needs are. So the old idea that, well, you can have a hamster and you can have it in a cage like this. Have you understood its needs? But how can anybody have a hamster happily then if they can't keep it in a cage? Because, I, I mean, I couldn't have a hamster that could roam. Why can you not make it a bigger run? Lots of people do it with rabbits in hutches. Well, you don't keep a rabbit have, in a hutch yeah. anymore. What you do is you build it a nice bigger run and you give it a much bigger space in which to go around. Yeah. So why can't you do that with hamster? I suppose so. I, I mean, I'm only asking the question because I've never, ever, ever come across somebody with a hamster with a, with a big hamster run. Oh, yeah, I've seen them. They're quite good. Yeah, all the hamsters I see are in pretty basic cages. Because that's how it's sold in this old image probably going way back to the you know i'm going to say the 70s and the 80s of you know buying your buying your child an easy pet so is this going to be the bird of our century are we gonna are we gonna be looking back going do you remember when we caught kept hamsters in small cages just like (laughs) maybe but these are the questions we need to ask ourselves isn't it it's i i know when the i know when the legislation was written it it talks about Good practice, right? As required by good practice. Yeah. And and the old adage that if everybody kind of is is if that's seen as the normal, then it, you couldn't be seen to be doing it wrong. But we need to be making improvements. We yeah. need to change behaviours. If everyone's still keeping hamsters in small cages, somewhere along the line, we need to change behaviours. Mm-hmm. People need to be educating those that want a hamster to say it's a hamster, but it does it wants to go out. But it wants to go out at night. This has come back to my point. Well, the hamster under the floorboards has a lovely time in the in the old houses, going around, um, yeah. exploring. And I have to say, 
I think the pet shops, I think there's lots of um, hamsters roaming free in those pet shops. <laughs> and in fact, I know there are lots of hamsters roaming free in those pet shops. <laughs> they get found. <laughs> <laughs> By the cats that are roaming free. No, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's just understanding those things. And I think there's, there are so there are so many different animals out there that you can buy that doesn't come with the full literature of actually yeah. this these are the natural behaviors of this animal can you provide for it as much as you can running on a wheel you know it's kind of basically saying to someone uh, uh i'll lock you in a prison cell for your life if you want to exercise oh yeah i'll just give you a treadmill, treadmill. no you're absolutely i mean you're absolutely right i completely agree. um yeah birds is the other one natural behavior their ability to fly and I think we touched on it because I don't think birds are kept in small cages anymore for exactly that reason people understand they need to fly yeah and the people um, that I tend to see with birds um, firstly they'll contact a vet and we often say we are not a bird specialist and most of them have bird specialist vets actually yeah. um, and most of them are actually experts in their field M- yeah. majority of people that keep birds now are experts in their field which is amazing and wonderful to see but you can still go out and buy parrots yeah we talked on parrots yeah many birds highly intelligent species that you know they're you know, I think African greys have been you know taught to count and do simple math- singing simple mathematics so understanding those and actually stimulating them if you don't stimulate certainly parrots and that you get things like feather plucking yeah um, self-trauma and abnormal repetitive behaviors and um, which is what we i mean we see a lot of that in horses repetitive behaviors maybe a horse that's been boxed boxed too long um, you know, not getting not getting the right stimulus and um, frustrated horses, that sort of thing. So, yes, repetitive behaviour. And actually, you see, going back to our hamsters, running on the wheel, running across a cage, flipping itself over, running back to a wheel, running over, doing that, and you know, it's the repetitive knowledge that makes it abnormal. Yes. Um, and I think that the last of our needs, I don't know, is our need for protection from pain, injury, and disease. Sounds obvious. But not only within our environments do we need to make sure that we're keeping our animals safe from hazards. Those hazards may include ourselves, our children, our cats running out into the road, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. And look, I'm not going to say don't get a cat if you live by a road, because we've touched on this in a previous pod. I grew up in the country and we lost, we lost five or six cats to being run over. Because it was so quiet. They weren't used to it. Yeah. So I'm not saying that your cat's not going to get run over, but you have to be aware that it might do if you live by a road. Because yeah. if it doesn't learn, it's... You have road-savvy cats. And, and, and it, I suppose it's to do with, for instance, if you, if you ended up rescuing a cat that has never been by a road um, and then you let it out onto a road, it's not road-savvy. Rescue a cat that's been maybe a street cat on roads then it may be more road savvy but there's no guarantees of course there is no guarantees but then of course you go back to natural behaviors by saving one how much are you denying it from another mm-hmm. you know you should you you know you shouldn't really keep a cat inside on the idea that it might get run over if yeah. it goes outside so you've got to weigh all of those things up and that's the emotional 
roller coaster that you'll ride with any animal, I guess. There are very good reasons to keep a cat inside, though. There are some very good reasons, whether from disease is one of them. Yep, that's um, a very, very FEI big FEI and FEIV cats. Yep. So we always, always say, if you do have um, an FIV, FELV um, positive cat, that they should be inside cats for spreading disease reasons. Yep. Um, and some people will argue against that. It touched on, well, I, I, we talked earlier about how um, conditions for cats inside, they are more likely to show signs of stress, actually. That is one thing to, to bear in mind. Um, so all of these things are a balance at the end of the day. Yeah. And you, all of it is about reasonable behaviour. So if you are going to deny an animal its needs, is it reasonable to do so? Are you doing it to protect it in another way? So it's finding that balance. So if you are not giving it all of the space it needs, is yeah. it reasonable not to do so? And therefore, what are the consequences of not giving it those? People go and exercise their dog, for example, um, but they go running with it, or they take it alongside their bike. Now it gives the dog its physical exercise it needs, but actually there are some natural behaviors that the dogs require, not every breed and not every dog. But some of them have a real drive to want to sniff and explore. Yeah. But if you're running with your dog, it doesn't get an opportunity to do that. It misses all the messages. So it misses all left. the messages. <laughs> and my dog is constantly sniffing out messages. Um, the other reason to not cycle with your dog is it will wear your dog's joints out faster. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, that is one thing to say. Um, I, as a vet, don't recommend on a health reason to cycle with your dog uh, running with your dog I suppose it depends how fast you run <laughs> if they ran with me then yeah I used, to ru- I used to run with Welly every now and again and it wasn't his only you know he would go for a walk as well to do those natural things but wherever I started running I would take Welly with us but yeah he didn't run he just tr- trotted along next to me and I'd actually he would always stop to sniff and I would always have to stop and jog on the spot no, ca- no he would catch up you would carry on and he would catch up I'm sure <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd have five metres in front because he'd be five metres in front with the extender yeah. lead then he'd stop to sniff something by the time I'd run the ten metres for him to be at the other end he'd finish sniffing everything he needed to sniff well, that's most it. of the time but um, yeah there's there's all those issues yeah he said oh, how do you exercise your dog oh, I let it out in the garden every day that's not exercising a dog. Just because it can run around in your garden does not give it the stimulation that it requires about going out. It's, it does go back to that instinct to hunt. Yeah. Now, we're not saying it needs to go out and kill things or even hunt them, but it has this desire to want to go on that trail and come back again. Yes, it has heightened senses that mm. we can't understand that it wants to use. Yeah. Be that sight, smell, um, that sort of thing. So... So yeah, so it is a balance, and we go back to our kind of balance of if you don't like one thing, can you can you substitute it in a certain way? But I I do want to point out that um, you don't have to be perfect. That, no, no, no. You know, this is you know, it sounds like from from what we're saying that nobody in the world is ever going to be eligible to have a pet. No, we started this by saying. It's incredibly important, though, that people understand what under- those needs that's are. That's it. It's the understanding and trying to meet all of those things as best as you physically can. And, of course, we always say this as well, that your circumstances in your life will change. Yeah. And, therefore, there are going to be times where, for instance, um, you know, we've just gone through it, having a young kid. Wow, suddenly you're 
dog who has every moment of your life and going on these long walks with you and just having absolutely your full attention suddenly doesn't but you're not going to get rid of your dog if you can help it of course if you think that you have to uh, for the welfare of your dog that's absolutely understandable and I um, I would always say that's you know that's your decision um, for for the whole family but certainly my dog has not been tip-top of the list since having <laughs> a kid and you know but he's but we're he doing adapts. our best we're doing our best you adapt him. and he adapts he adapts we adapt he's still getting a healthy diet he still gets exercise he still has um freedom to display natural behavior but was it as good as it was before possibly not <laughs> He would no, say no. He would say no. I think he's probably more aggrieved by Yolo's arrival than he is of uh, your son. But um, yeah, um, true. So yeah, when we go back to our protection from pain, injury, and disease, we talk about vet vet fees. Yes. Obviously, you see this on a um, you're from the other side of the table. People complaining about vet fees, but let's be realistic. Vet fees are going to be part and parcel of your life with an animal, and uh, not only vet fees, uh, you've got preventative care. Yeah. You've got insurance that can cover some of that, but yeah. not all of it. Uh, and then you've got the cost of providing for all the other needs that we talked about. How much will it cost to feed it? How much will it cost to provide a suitable environment and keep it going? Obviously, some of those environments need a power source. They need cleaning on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, you know, aquaria and reptiles and all this kind of stuff in the right to be create the right environment. So there's a cost. I think you can probably give us more detail on the yeah, so I, veterinary side of For dogs, let's take yeah. a look at dogs. So I looked at Yolo, my, my rescue pug puppy, and I worked out that um, I'm paying, this is on the basis of her potentially living about 12 years, but pugs can, Pugs can live for a long, long time, actually. So um, it may, 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 may be much more. So the insurance, I think, will cost about 3000 to £4,000 um, okay. through her life. Um, vaccinations throughout a lifetime, I'm putting about £500. However, I know that you can go and get deals on vaccinations, for instance. You can buy pay £100 and it will be a vaccination for life through certain okay. um, clinics and things like that. So so that is one of those things. But definitely get vaccinations uh, for your dogs. I know there are anti-vaxxers out there. It's a different conversation to have another day. Um, flea treatment, again, it depends what product you use. If you're going to be buying something from the supermarkets that doesn't work, it doesn't actually save you that much money. So Because um, you'll be paying for flea. Yeah. To get rid of fleas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are really, really good products out there, some that are kind of every three months, some that are every month, um, but roughly in her life, probably about £700 um, if I was doing it by the book. Yep. Um, worming, um, you can buy a decent worming tablet for not too, too much, to be perfectly honest. So okay. it's definitely worth doing, especially if you have kids, because obviously kids can get worms from dogs. It can cause blindness. So throughout her life, probably about £250. So please worm your dogs. It's not too expensive. Preventative care. Preventative care. Neutering, it depends where you are in the country. I would say it's around about the 300 to um, £300 to £400 mark um, for, for neutering your dog. For a female? 
Yes, for a female, slightly cheaper for a, for a, um, a male. Um, so I've worked it out that it's going to cost around 5,500 to 6,000, up to 500. So 6,000 pounds in the lifetime of a dog. Yeah. I came with somebody who says that's not a great deal, but insurances don't cover you for everything and the premiums will vary will, hugely will depending on the type of dog you've got. Yeah, and, the, and her premium will go up. So actually by the time her premium's gone up, it's probably going to be closer to the seven to eight thousand pounds. Um, and the older a dog gets, the more likely it is that your insurance will make you pay 20% of the fee anyway, mm. based on its age. Yeah. Certainly above the age of seven, most of them make, do that. I mean, that's, so we've talked about six, six thousand pounds there for, yeah. for a dog's lifetime. That is probably higher for a bigger dog. Uh, yeah. Pedigree dogs are higher. Certainly with regards to insurances, yeah. they're higher. But that's because they're more likely to have conditions that don't have the need for them to go to the vet, right? Yes. So pedigree dogs, you are encouraging certain yeah. conditions. There's certain conditions that run through a breed. Yeah that don't get bred out so often, which means they're going to be a higher risk. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to mention is, you mentioned it, size of dog. I cannot tell you how many people will come in with um, a St. Bernard and we send them away with a week's worth of antibiotics. And the bill is huge. Yep. They, it, it goes by weight, you know. Um, because I suppose as a person, you... Um, if you go away from your doctors with an antibiotic, you get a 500 milligram amoxicillin three times a day. That goes on the average body weight of a person. With dogs, we have dogs that weigh two kilograms and dogs that weigh 70 kilograms. So the antibiotic dose changes hugely. Well, the drug, every dose, every, every, every. drug. Um, so you cannot expect the same bill for a huge dog. To yeah. a small dog, and that is definitely something to bear in mind. So your insurance will be much higher because they know that even a bout of something like cystitis <clears throat> could cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds for a you know St Bernard or a Great Dane. But also, we must point out that we talked about six thousand pounds for a pug, which is you know. So, but you might be some people might be thinking, well, I won't bother with insurance. Mm-hmm. So a small dog, mm-hmm. let's say with like a, a patella issue, for example, how much do you think it would cost to repair a patella? Thousands of pounds. So first of all, I suppose you've got your initial presentation. Yeah. You've got your consultation fees. You've got your x-ray fees. You've got your surgery fees. You've got your post-operative fees. You've got yeah. your potential hydrotherapy if you want to be doing things you know, properly. So we're not just looking at, in you go, operation, a couple of hundred pounds. We're talking about this will probably add up. And, and, and most of these things, for instance, if it was something like a patella op, it's bilateral. Yeah. So you end up spending double. So you could end up spending the best part of 4,000 you know, pounds or, or more. I mean, let's, let's, talk about a fracture, let's talk about a fracture repair. Okay. Uh, fracture repair on a small dog. If it's a good fracture repair done by an orthopaedic surgeon, a clean break 
Yeah. So uh, well, the, yes. So a a um, well, not necessarily a, a clean ba- break, but um, a, one that can be repaired relatively simply that okay. doesn't have post-operative complications. Yeah. Um, you're looking at two and a half thousand pounds. Okay. On a small dog. So, you can run the risk of not getting insurance. But you'll end up, you could pay way beyond your £6,000. And that's not spreading your cost out, of course. That is £2,500 up front, there and then. And I do think that here in the UK, we are, because we have a national health service in which we don't pay for our own medicine, we don't understand the cost no, medical care. There was an article actually not long ago and it made me extremely upset. And the article was about how much it costs for a CT scan on a dog versus a person mm. through the NHS. How it costs the NHS about £400, something like that, for a person to have a CT scan and it costs um, 10 times that, you know, well, not 10 times that, but you know, mm. um, thousand, you know above £1,000. Um, for a dog to have a CT scan. Yep. It's not, you cannot relate the two. You have to give a general anaesthetic to a dog to have a CT scan. It will not lie there. Please, can you lie still for. Still. Um, <laughs> first of all, you're talking about the drugs, you're talking about having qualified people doing the anaesthetic, you know, um, yep. and keeping your animal safe during the anaesthetic. Talking about there aren't many CT and MRI scanners in the country for dogs. They're privately owned. They have to be paid for. Um, it's not like every vet's practice has a CT or MRI scanner. So it is... It I reckon is, a hospital CT and MRI scanner gets used every day. Yeah, it is It is a, a real... In virtual constant use. In yeah. constant use for, 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 um, for people. So you can't really correlate that sort of thing. What you can look at is something like a cruciate repair. How much did your cruciate repair cost the NHS? It would be really interesting to find that out. Now, in America, if you were to have a cruciate rupture and have a cruciate repair and you were paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, Mm. you take your dog to the vet who has a cruciate rupture, the reaction that you get from people in America is, wow, it costs me six times that much. Whereas here, because we have no idea how much it costs to have your treatment done, um, people are absolutely gobsmacked by the price. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It, you know, you're paying for professional people. You're paying for drugs. You're paying for And you safety. touched on that specialist care. We start talking exotics, birds as pets. You end up having to get specialist vets in. So it, it increases the cost. So it's understanding that 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 idea, that, and now people are going out and buying dogs for thousands of pounds. Like we're seeing some dogs going for, you know, nine, ten, eleven thousand pounds yeah. for some some rare coloured French bulldogs going mm. for anything up to twenty five thousand pounds that people are paying for a dog. There are huge amounts of money in the initial outlay already yeah but that's far more than just the initial outlay you've got to look at the long-term cost of your and it is it's it's risk assessment so i think it's about researching the breed of dog for instance that you want to get if you were going to get a a dog as your ideal pet and and realizing that you may come a cropper well 
I think this is the thing. So everything that we've talked about so far, the reality is it costs money. It costs time and it costs commitment. So money we've we've touched on about all the things that you're going to have to spend your money on. Time, look at how long your animal is going to live. Mm. Because you might want it now, but are you still going to be able to look after it in 10 years' time? You know, this idea of buying your child a pet is the child... Child's going to grow up and actually children can get very bored very quickly. I'm not saying they all do. I'm not saying they, you know, there's some brilliant pet owning children out there. But the reality is if your child gets bored of the pet, you still need to look after it. Yeah. If you buy tortoises, right, they're probably going to outlive you realistically if you look after them properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are birds out there that live for, for many years. Um, I think some parrots have been known to live beyond 40 years. Yeah. They are long-term, long-term commitments. And it is about the commitment. That is putting that effort in for that animal day after day after day. Yeah. And that if you want to go away on holiday for six weeks every year, you know, spread across the year or even more, at an additional cost, who's going to look after your animal when you go on holiday? Or you're going to have to pay to take the animal with you. One, you know. yeah. So we look at all of those sorts of things. So I think if we haven't put you off getting a pet, and it, this, the purpose of this kind of pod is not to put you off getting a pet. The big message is, do your research about your pet before you buy it. I certainly don't buy it, then go, oh, now, uh, let's see if I can learn how to look after this. Because you might find yourself in a situation where it's too late. Yeah, um, and let's see if buy it, and then let's see if we can actually afford it. Um, that I think that's the sad. I think that's probably the biggest welfare thing that we see as well. So, firstly, not understanding how to look after your pet, which I have to say, most people I think do understand how to look after a dog and a cat. I, that I see that you know that I come across in my um, in my work. A lot of people don't understand how to look after rabbits. A lot of people, like you were saying, don't understand how to look after small furries and exotics. And, and, and I would completely agree with that. The majority of things that we see in in those terms are welfare or husbandry issues. And the majority of things we see with dogs and cats aren't husbandry. They are illness and health issues that, that, that just arise. Um, but the other thing is, is that realising that you can't afford it um, and that sudden realisation that you can't give your pet who you love the uh, veterinary attention and that sort of thing that it, it really does deserve. And, um, and that is heartbreaking because I, I do understand that it is hard if you don't have any money and you have a pet. Um, and people's circumstances change. Yeah. When they get their pet, their circumstances were perfect for looking after yeah. a pet. You know, whether it be on the money or whether it be on the house they owned or or whatever it was they're doing in life. And circumstances change unforeseeably. Okay, Whether that means, you know, you're suddenly in a situation where you've got no money or the family is split up and, you know, you're left with looking after a pet on your own or, you know, those circumstances. The one thing I would certainly say is go and ask for help. Don't be ashamed about it. Yeah, and, and, and also the same with veterinary. So, for instance, I've talked a lot about thousands of pounds here. Um, and, and, and that is because that's 
that's the good options in terms of that's having the broken leg scenario an orthopedic surgeon do a fracture repair that is going to make your dog's leg almost as good as it was in the first place so we're talking about the the gold standard of veterinary and and there are different options out there Um, it doesn't always have to be thousands of pounds if you speak with your vet and you know there there are other alternative options out there for different scenarios so don't be scared to go to the vet and say financially life is really difficult um, just be nice. Just be yeah. nice. <laughs> um, you know what? What can we talk about seriously to make my pet as happy as possible, but not crucify me financially because I can't afford to have the two and a half thousand pounds surgery. Yeah. And, and I know that I'm not saying I'm not speaking for every vet, and I know that they don't all do it. But many vets I know will set up a, a schemes where you payment plans, or, or even when you first get the the animal. Yeah. You can set up an account which you can pay into it, a bit like insurance, I suppose. Okay. Which means you can just pay into it, not just for your preventative, yeah. but you're building up an account. Building which means credit. if yeah, which means if something happens, you've got credit there already. Yeah. Right, so. Yeah. So so that's interesting because I I haven't ever worked at anywhere that does that, but I have worked at ones that you know will have discount if, for instance, you are one of their. Uh, long-standing yep. clients and, 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 and do a payment plan for preventative and things like that and, and get yourself known to the practice that's the other thing get yourself known take your dog cat whatever you have yep. get them weighed and build up a relationship with your vet because often on these things it's a, it's built on trust because obviously we do have to pay for the medication we do have to pay the staff we do have to pay for the building and the electricity and um, whatever everybody says vets do not get paid much um, it's it's a complete myth we can go into that another day and I'm sure that someone will come on and say that you must get paid a, a lot but um, I can honestly tell you that we do not get paid much at all um, it, not the good old days anymore like it, it was <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you know it's just building up that relationship building up the trust with your vet and, and, and we will always try and help you out um and you know because we don't want to see pets suffering yeah and there's you know you've got to you have to bear in mind if you allow your animal to suffer it might be taken off you you know because uh because uh you find yourself in trouble yeah if you go and ask for help it's far less likely that somebody's going to take your animal off you if you've asked for help and you've sought it okay it's because um if i get technical about it if you seek veterinary help... Yeah, the offence for an animal suffering is because you fail to seek veterinary yeah, attention. absolutely. So you can seek the help. You still have to get the help. You can't just ask and then not take the animal, okay? The primary thing is if your animal is sick, if it's injured, if it requires veterinary attention, take it to the vet, mm-hmm. okay? Because the most important thing is to alleviate the suffering of that animal. Yeah. That's the most important thing. And... You know, that's the primary job of a vet is to alleviate suffering. Would you agree? Yeah. So, um, look, we're going to a little more detail with regards to some dogs, cats and choosing those. If you believe that dogs is your or pet that you want, then there's things to look at. You've got this whole mixture of pedigree dogs and then within that you've got crossbreed dogs. Yeah. They all come with their different... Uh, health issues that come with with breed traits and they've got their different personalities within that okay 
So consider all of those and how that fits in with your lifestyle. There's perhaps a better way of trying to find what dog to get for yourself rather than um, doing what I think everybody does and go, Ooh, I really like a, I really like a Cocker Spaniel. Let's look up Cocker Spaniels. What do they do? How much are they selling for? Um, would that suit us? Instead of doing that, because you'll go through a list of dogs that you like the look of and, and, and that's where you're starting from almost the wrong place. Why don't you research into Google or whatever a search engine you use, something like what your lifestyle is. So what would be a, a, a good dog for this age with this um, age children living in the middle of a town or living in the countryside, working away, um, you know, working from home, working not from home, able to walk small walks a couple of times a day. And, and you might find information coming to you that's more um, relevant as opposed to just randomly searching dogs on the way that they look because of uh, popularity basically and we you know we really need to be careful about this image issue over dogs um, and breed specific stuff that's out there you know about how you know people want a dog because it looks a certain way you know Mm. um, image is not everything if you may think the dog looks cool, but actually the dog is probably a completely different personality to what it looks like. We touched on it with our grooming special um, pod with Stuart Simons. These dogs that basically are permanently growing hair, i.e. good hypoallergenic dogs, come with many other issues yeah. based around grooming very often. So you've got to consider everything. So look at their exercise requirements and then their intellectual behavioural needs. Mm-hmm. We talk about the stimulation and what stimulation they require. Because if they don't get it, it manifests itself in um, negative behaviour, whether that's aggression, destructive behaviour in the house, you know, urinating in the house, all all sorts of things. And of course, then what you have is you have an unhappy household um, and then you end up in a a state and nobody wants to be in that state. So um, certainly intelligence levels is definitely something to look at. Yeah, and when you're looking at um, dogs that hunt so i go back to that phrase of hunting uh sight Sight hunters and then you've got scent hunters um they have their different needs and why they do so actually uh, the collies that are very sight orientated often they don't have the same requirement they're not nose to the ground the whole time as they're they're out for a walk but they're always wanting to look around and see yeah if you get a crossbreed between a sight and a scent hunter expects it to be incredibly intelligent and require a lot of stimulation. (laughs) Um, Not from direct experience, but I certainly know a number of people that have had, you know, that uh, kind of long dog collie cross kind of thing. They are just um, constant. My lurcher, (laughs) sight hound collie. Yeah, there you go. Um, They're just all that complex requirements that they need to stimulate the brain. Yeah. So that's a little bit about dogs. Yeah, do your research, and I yeah. think that's a brilliant suggestion. Is don't search for the breed, search for the requirement. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's the way I would go about it now. Um, and let's just say a little bit about cats um, in terms of um, housing a cat, because the biggest one of the biggest things we see in the practice is um, stress-related disease in cats. Cats are um, not very good at telling you when they're not very well. It is not in their 
interest in their benefit to show illness. Um, so vulnerability. Vulnerability. So, for instance, a dog will show vulnerability because they're a pack animal. Basically, what they're doing is they're coming up to you and they're saying, I don't want to go and hunt today. Let me stay at home. Um, and could you go and get me some food and a warm bed? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so they will tell you when they've got a sore paw. Um, whereas a cat it is a um, solitary People think that they are not solitary, but the domestic cat is... Primarily, they're they, solitary. They can adapt to a yeah, social animal. Yeah, they're a solitary creature. Um, and so if they were to show weakness and vulnerability, it would make them um, well vulnerable to larger predators and things like that. So actually, they, they don't show it. The, when a cat gets ill, they've got... And they're showing it, they've got very ill. Um, so it's about reading your cat quite closely um understanding your cat picking up on little personality traits that they do and if things change um questioning you know are they all right and if if you're worried taking them to the vets but also um because of their um not wanting to show illness very well and that sort of thing they do become quite stressed about life i've genuinely known cats get stress related diseases from you know people painting a bedroom um, or Christmas, Christmas, oh my goodness, cats get so stressed at Christmas. You bring in a tree and you put Change fairy lights up and people come to the house. I mean, what are you doing? You can't do that to them, they hate it. Simple so, changes <laughs> to environments have huge effects yeah. on all animals, actually. Simple changes, Far more than, yeah. than people realise. Even if you change the furniture around in a room, a dog can get stressed by it. Absolutely. They'll come and go, Absolutely. What, what, what have you done? Yeah, so um, over-grooming, cats groom to relieve stress not only to groove themselves but to relieve stress so if your cat is grooming so much it's making itself bald it could be stressed it could be a parasite problem obviously but it could it could be stress related um the other thing is cystitis we see a lot of stress related cystitis in cats it's telling you something it's telling you that something's not right so as soon as you see these problems please bring them into um into the practice or urinating in unusual places that's another one that they do yeah and you could be referred to a behaviorist as well. a behaviorist but there are things that you can do at home as Jodie's mentioned before, they have to have somewhere they, they can escape to and feel safe. Cats like high places. My cat loves to be above the boiler. Um, so it loves to be up there and that's her happy, safe place. The number of cats plus one is the number of litter trays you have. Mm. So if you have two cats, you need three litter trays. If you have one cat, you need two litter trays. Not many people do this. Um, they like a clean ensuite. They're very fussy. So, they don't like drinking and eating anywhere anywhere near where they toilet. No, they're very clean. Just think of a prim and proper. Um, so don't put know. the food bowl and the water bowl down next to the litter tray in the, in the utility room or something like that because they don't like it. Yeah, I don't put food on the floor actually for a cat. Again, I put it high. If she feels safe, I put it high. Um, you know, this sort of thing. And there are, there are products fell away um, uh, pet remedy. These are um, pheromones that can get released into the environment. Um, but th- basically, but they don't cure long-term problems. They don't cure long-term problems, but what they do is, you, for instance, it's like a, um, an air freshener plug-in hmm. and it releases the pheromones. So you just keep topping it up yeah. and it can harmonise a cat. And so, for instance, if your cat has ongoing over-grooming or recurrent cystitis, have them all around your house and it does make a difference yep. um, especially if your Christmas is coming up or something like that and I think we've we, we touched on diet with cats one thing with dogs and cats that I wanted to touch on is about neutering 
Yeah. Okay, because some people say, oh, my dog's misbehaving or the cat's misbehaving. We need to neuter it. Yeah. And I think sometimes those behaviours, because they're inset over a long period, neutering won't necessarily improve the behaviour of your animal. In fact, sometimes it can make it worse. Yeah, so we always advise that when a dog comes in for neutering because it's showing dominance, that we cannot guarantee that it will change the dominance. If you're neutering a two-year-old dog for dominance issues, it's going to carry on being dominant because it ha- that is its way of life now. That's its mindset. However... And if, also because we don't know why or what caused that dominant exactly. behaviour in the first place. But if you were to bring in a fearful dog... Uh, if, if if I was admitting a fearful one-year-old dog, mm. I would say, let's not neuter this dog. Okay. Because um, it needs its testosterone. Yeah. I would say that what will happen if we neuter this dog is we'll take away the one thing that's potentially making it feel a little bit better. Um, and we will make it more fearful. And then the worst case scenario is it turns into fear aggression. So... Um, certainly out there your, uh, your vet is nearly always your first stop with regards to any issues with regards to health and behaviour Yeah. Um, but there are m- many uh, behaviour experts out there make sure you choose a, a good qualified one and yeah. you can find uh, lists online for the best behaviour yeah. people to find because they can also do a lot so they can home visit you and, mm-hmm. and do the full works with regards to behaviour issues in yeah. dogs and cats Um Probably a little bit harder to find some of the behaviour issues in some of the more exotic species, but your exotic vets will probably be able to help that. Yeah. That's the same with horses. You get equine behaviourists out there that can help mm-hmm. you. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to touch on that with, with neutering. It's not always the cure to a problem. No, and we're just talking about male dogs there, actually. Yeah. We're not talking about female dogs there. No, certainly with females... Neutering should be encouraged because we have too many animals in this country. <laughs> that's that's on your welfare. That's on your um, on your side of things. I completely agree with that. But the reason why, and I will go and uh, will say this is, the reason why we advise neutering um, your female dog is that if you re- neuter them before or after their first season, you reduce the risk of malignant breast cancer by ninety odd percent. By the time they've had three seasons it does not reduce the risk of their, of malignant breast cancer. So it is hugely advantageous regarding mammary masses to neuter your dog. The other thing we see, and we're seeing more and more and more now because people are not neutering, you know, there's, a, there's a surge of not neutering and there's a surge of people wanting to breed, is pyometra. This isn't something that affects people, so it doesn't enter your mind that um, this would happen to a dog. But what happens to a dog is it's a hormonally driven process that they get an infection in their uterus. Their uterus can rupture within their body full of pus and you will have a dead dog. And it is very, very common in dogs aged. Well, I've, I've seen a six month old puppy with it, but most dogs are kind of aged seven and above. Um, um, but we see it all the time now my my issue with breeding and i'm going to touch on this quickly okay if you're intending to breed your dog or your cat and sell on the offspring okay the reality is with the cost of kittens and the cost of puppies these days is that you will require a license to do it because it's considered high business high profit okay so you will need to speak to your local authority about it many would say one litter doesn't come into scope 
it shouldn't do but then you shouldn't be selling them if it's if it's not an intention to sell for profit then you either give away your your puppies which i don't recommend or get your animals neutered if you've got no intention to breed get the animal neutered absolutely if you've got no because actually that because there's actually many issues with regards to animals on heat you know unneutered males around females around other unneutered males when there's an unneutered female around you're causing lots of actually stress in in both sides with regards to some unneutered males and unneutered females the stress side on not neutering comes with cats big time there you go so please neuter if you have no intention of breeding if you do have an intention of breeding with the purpose of selling you need a license um, because the licensing system is there because uh, to protect the welfare of a breeding animal um, so that's act responsibly I would say yeah small furries I won't go too much into it because we've probably touched on all of the things that we've talked about but diet diet is just as complex for all of these health issues that you get in small furries yeah what do you see I mean obviously we've touched on rabbits um, well, uh, all, of, all of the small furries, main thing is dental. Yeah. That, that, that is you the see, uh, the demise of many small furries, I know certainly small furries in captivity is cancer. Yes. And many of them get cancerous lumps that they don't recover from, do they? No. Um, there's, it, it, it's a difficult one with the, with the cancerous lumps. And I, and I suppose it does suggest that they are living longer, potentially, than they would. Right. as a wild creature yeah and therefore because they're living longer and their metabolisms are, you know their cell turnover is so high this is why they're more prone to be getting cancerous lumps so yeah. so that's that's why we see you know the the rat and the mouse and the hamster with cancerous lumps um, and i've had a pair of female rats and i've had a pair of male rats both um or all four so both pairs should i say um i lost all of them to cancer and I guess with all of these animals, you know, you, you have to deal with, you have to deal with death, actually. It's horrible. Uh, probably people struggle with the death of their pets more than they do with the death of their family. And uh, so you've got to consider all of that, putting yourself through that. Um, exotics, uh, to touch on as well, snakes, lizards, birds, fish, you know, I touched on it earlier. They're essentially still wild animals. They haven't evolved to adapt to you know, um domestic living in the same way as dogs and cats have uh, and therefore understand their welfare needs um, and keeping them in that wild state is really important and having appropriate enclosures do not have your snake um, going through the pipes please it makes me feel uncomfortable <laughs> and actually and, and of course touching on those uh, is understanding actually because certainly with um, snakes and lizards um, they don't express stress and they suffer from stress but they but that manifests itself more in the long term than it does in the short term you, actually their stress affects how they digest food mm. i.e. they don't digest it very well which means then we go back to diet don't get the nutrition yeah they don't get the nutrition and they suffer from that point of view I'm not an expert and I don't want to go into I can't go into much more detail but it's complex mm. so it's understanding if you don't get it right there are long-term implications for the welfare of the animals. So we touched on it with birds as well. And I think that was our short-term way of getting through choosing a pet, Hen. How did we do? 
Um, wow, I feel bamboozled. <laughs> now, the big message, as I, uh, we should say that you should always look to rescue animals before buying them. Mm. Uh, I touched on rescue organisations and, and where to go from in our very first pod, uh, which if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and have a look and we'll talk about that. And I think that that would take a separate pod with regards to rehoming rescue animals and we'll look into that another time. Yeah. So, um, because people are very much put off it. I think they think they'll get a troubled animal, okay, or it'll come with, it'll be an animal with problems. Actually, not necessarily. And actually, even the behaviour of the animal in a rescue centre is nothing like what it would be like when it gets to a home environment. No. Uh, there are many, many, many uh, animals in rescue centres that basically are... I think, currently, I think currently, though, people are struggling to rescue dogs and cats because there's such a high, I suppose, want for dogs and cats. They're not... Oh, I think the demand is because they want certain types of dog. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, realistically, uh, the the rescue centres are, depending on which organisation you go to and where the animals are coming from, Yeah, they are, in general, mixed breed dogs. Yeah. Uh, you know, people want these specific breeds. Um, and they're after certain breeds and, you know... I'm gonna. I'm. I've got to say something here about rescuing as well, um, because it's something that I'm seeing more and more and more and more, and um, I often have to grin and bear it. Rescuing dogs from abroad. It's. It's a whole other pod. It's another pod. It, it it's another pod. But we're both gonna say don't do it. Yeah. In general, don't do it. Yeah, it's hard to justify. I'm gonna say it's hard to justify. Look, I I think we should uh, very soon do another pod with regards to uh, importing animals yeah, and importing um, yeah. certainly dogs uh, and rescue organisations. And be aware they're not all charities. They've called themselves a rescue organisation um, on the belief that they are rescuing dogs from another country. But actually they're just perpetuating a trade. Mm. So... They're not, all, they're not all like that, I'm not saying that, but there are many out there and it's easy to fall foul of uh, some serious issues with regards to dogs that have been imported from from other countries. So we will do a pod on that. I know it comes from a good place in people's hearts though, why they do it. This, this is the thing. Mm. I know that it will have upset a lot of people, me saying that, because it's good people that are doing this. Um, but I think it's got to be talked about because I think we need to to kind of put it out in the open that yep. it's not necessarily what it there are so many risks um, from things that actually aren't in the public in the public knowledge yep. should I say with regards to yep. uh, disease behaviours um, and many other issues to do with it so we will touch on it and we'll, yep. we'll set a plan for a pod for that subject look if you've got any questions for us Please contact us at um, askthingswiseandwonderful at gmail.com. Drop us a message on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page. Um, and we will endeavour to answer your questions as best we can. If we can't do it, we'll get an expert to 
Yeah, and, and, and we hope that we've helped um, without sounding doom and gloom all the way through. We hope that actually we wanted to be more informative, you know, to, to basically allow you to get the best out of the pet that you choose um, so that you have a happy time together. Because the worst thing that can happen is you get the wrong pet for your family and your situation and neither you or your pet are happy. I don't know the exact statistic, but I know it's well over 80% of households in the UK have a pet of some sort. So, yeah. you know, they bring huge value to us. And everybody and that comes into the practice is happy with their dog and cat. I yeah. don't see anybody that isn't happy. We're just saying that research, research, research leads to happier people and happier pets. Gladly, and luckily, there aren't that many people relatively relatively there aren't that many people that are deliberately cruel to animals um you know a majority of cases uh, that are seen that go through the courts are about those people that are negligent you know they weren't able to look after an animal they didn't know how to look after an animal and they failed to find somebody to help them yeah most of the time um there are those that are you know, do things deliberately. Some of that deliberate cruelty actually comes again out of naivety and yeah. and um, poor education as much as anything. But anyway, look, good luck in your search for a pet. As I say, if you've got any more questions, get in contact or go and speak to an expert. There's many of them out there on the, on the uh, web who will be able to give you the best information for you. And I love a phone call when I'm at work from someone saying that we're looking at buying a this dog. Can you tell me what sort of health issues you see and what do you feel about this sort of... Research, research, research. Yeah. Do not impulse buy. Uh, Do your research. Don't choose the first one that you see on the shelf or on the advert. Okay, go and see it. Walk away. Having seen it, walk away from it. And then go, do I still really want it? And if it's sick, don't buy it. Not a whole issue. Anyway, should we move on to the news? Yes, let's. So, plenty's been in the news. I touched on a couple of things earlier. The the big announcement last week from the government was the action plan for animal welfare. So I'll let you go into the big headlines really about it. Um, yes. So some some nice things to hear actually. Um, so what has been said is that they are going to start recognising animal sentience. Um, They are going to end the export of live animals. That is incredible. I've been calling this for years and years. So my old job was started back in the 1970s. The unit in the RSPCA was set up as part of a campaign back then called SELFA, which is Stop the Export of Live Farm Animals. Yeah. And that was back in about 1974. So it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, yes, to have more... I don't know what more effective powers means, but to have more effective powers to tackle livestock worrying. Yeah. I think that off the back of the fact that the irresponsible behaviour of dog walkers, especially yeah. around livestock not keeping their dogs on leads, not understanding the effect it has on livestock, um, yeah. and actually literally animal attacks on livestock yeah. that goes on. Yeah. Um, and they're going to stop people keeping primates, which... As pets. As pets. 
Yes, as pets, not, you know, obviously mm-hmm. you, if you've got a zoo and that's sort of yeah. thing, it's fine. Um, and to improve zoos, which is good, and they're going to um, crack down on puppy smuggling. Yeah, well, that goes into our importing yeah. thing very much that we talked about, so we can touch on that. Look, some, some fantastic ideas, I think, and a real positive step uh, yeah. for in so many areas with regards to animal welfare. There's a couple more. Oh, come yeah. On. So we've got the banning of um, importing hunting trophies and also stopping advertising hunting trips. Excellent. And mandatory microchipping of cats. Yeah, I think that's been uh, called for for a while. Well, all of these things have called for for a while. I think that's a really sensible thing yeah. because <laughs> our cats do like to wander off and. Uh, yeah. I think there was a story in the paper only this week about a cat that has finally been reunited with its uh, owner after 13 years. And I think all of these things, you know, is, is such a big step forward as long as they take these actions. And um, without getting too political, our government seems to be making a lot of promises that um, in the past it's gone back on a few of them. Let's hope it doesn't go back on these. Yes. Um one of the other big things that's happened in the news since our last pod, the Animal Welfare Sentencing Bill has um, gone through the House of Lords and yeah. has been passed through the House of Lords and has reached royal assent. So that will come into effect very soon. Uh, what this means is uh, that the maximum sentences for animal welfare offences will increase from six months to five years. So you can spend five years in prison uh, for an animal welfare offence. Now, I think this is a huge step towards a deterrent and an understanding of how seriously we take offences against animal welfare because mm-hmm. there is disproportionate you know, uh, kind of sentencing uh, that's happened over the years. You know, I've dealt with cases of people who've been you know, fighting dogs for many years um, have been caught with dogs that have got horrendous injuries as a cause of their deliberate cruelty um, and the cruelty that they put these dogs through that people that go out hunting with dogs and cause uh, incredible amounts of suffering and distress both to the dogs that they're hunting with and the animals that they're hunting and when you see somebody that has been incessantly cruel to animals for years and years deliberately and we talked about this about there aren't too many people who are deliberate to animals but there are some people out there that that genuinely know how much suffering they cause and still go on to do it the difference between a six-month sentence and five years is huge because six months they can be out after 12 weeks yeah in fact they're out before you you know basically before you've wrapped up the paperwork for the case and, and let's not forget the huge link between animal abuse and child abuse that actually um, that we it's drilled into us as vets that you know if we suspect anything you know it's not just yep. animals um, so I think it's pretty huge what you know what's what's happening so that's yeah, because it shows people that how serious a, a, of an offence it is and it, yep. you know we call ourselves a nation of animal lovers and I think generally we do have uh, higher standards than 
than many parts of the, of the rest of the world. And I think that uh, kind of sentencing should reflect that, should reflect our, our attitude. So that's that can only be a good thing. Um, and then the last thing that we want to touch on, last week was uh, Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to report to be an expert in mental health or understand all the things, but what I do know is that um, suicide in the veterinary world is four times the national average. Yep, a very upsetting fact. Yeah, and I think just... just uh, I'll obviously let you take the floor. This is something that um, is close to your heart. and But I, I did find a study that was um, back from 2010 that was titled Veterinary Surgeons and Suicide and a Structural Review of the Possible Influences of the Increased Risk, which was conducted at Southampton University um, after a thesis actually by a, um, a student. Um, and the study was published in the veterinary record. And it stated that some of the factors, uh, and this is what it says, so vet, veterinarians work with little supervision and can make many mistakes in their early careers. Those mistakes may have considerable emotional impact and may be significant in the development of suicidal thoughts. Add to that the long hours, the threat of client complaints and litigation, the rising student debt and the ethical challenges that come with it. Um, you know, it goes on to talk about these are the, some yeah. of the major factors. Yeah, it's, it's um, a huge problem within the profession, to be perfectly honest. And um, it's... I don't think it's recognised. Well, it's not really talked about outside the profession. I think that I think that's the thing. I don't think people realise. Well, why why would you realise? Yeah. Um, I think what that what you've just read there actually really does hit the nail on the head. Um, when I think back to my own mental health in my first four to five four years of graduating, mm. um, it was really poor. It was really poor. And I would say that a lot of recent graduates probably feel like that as well. And it, and, and, and it goes on and on and on throughout your career for many, many different reasons. Um, financial, ethical, um, you know, client complaints is a huge one. Uh, because honestly, we all go into veterinary because we want to do the best job for animals. And... Um, and to be told daily that you know we, we don't um, is it, it it is really really hard. So there's you know there's too many reasons really to go into um, as to as to why it is, but it is a fact that um, you know it's four times the national average, and there's no escaping that. We do have um, some good charities and organisations um, that have arisen because of this. Vet Life um, and Not One More Vet um, are uh, for you know if you're in crisis um in the veterinary profession um to get hold of um and the royal college have set up um kind of websites and things like this to help as well yeah, so there's one called vet mind matters yeah as well. vet mind matters that's the one uh, by the royal college um so i mean it is something that the profession are working on um i, I suppose the one thing i've always wanted to to say to clients is to just be kind i think you know i think that's the really you know really important um that we have it, it, it's a tough tough job um and it takes its toll unfortunately in this way yeah and and look if you're a vet out there or if you know a vet who's struggling yeah vet life it's it's 
but life um you're not alone yeah. go and ask for help definitely go and ask for help um and uh, you know one thing i don't like facebook however there are some great forums for vets out there I, you know there's a vet mums one which i just find so supportive um and everybody's really really lovely on there um it's not just for vet mums it's for, for it's it got named that and it kept its name historically um but there's there's different things out there uh, for you to go to um there are so many things out there to help and don't let it manifest for yeah. too long and on a Get positive note early. on um mental health awareness week pets help your mental health pets do help your mental health yeah definitely definitely help my mental health although sometimes i have to say, Sometimes I have to say they don't help my mental health. They compound it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the majority of the time they help my mental health. And they, def- they definitely do. And um, uh, having lost a dog and not, not been with a dog now since February, um, animals do help so much with mental health in so many formats. But yeah, hitting back on that. Um, the whole vet side of it and the whole thing really is um, we need to make it that awareness um, far greater actually for everybody yeah probably should be really pushing that agenda in veterinary surgeries to make people understand the difficulties that vets go through and like you said I know it's difficult when your animal is sick and it's a very stressful time, but don't take it out on your vet. Yeah, it's it's such a huge, huge subject, and and we understand that asking someone to spend money on their beloved animal is a difficult thing to do. But I promise you, we are not trying to take your money, and we are not try, we are not buying Ferraris. Um, you know, I can be very open and honest about veterinary salaries on another day. Um, we can talk about it because uh, I know that people, it should be transparent. I think that it should be transparent about the salaries and things, but honestly, ask your If vet. you think they're earning loads of money, look it up. Someone on the internet will tell you quite honestly that they're not. Yeah, so, um, um, and working every hour that there is. And that's cited in the report. Yeah. The long hours that vets work, that... Uh, the poor um, work-life balance that they have. When you graduate as a vet, there is no set... You know, when you when you graduate as a doctor, you go through your housemanships at, at the hospitals. You are guided through. You are... You're learning and your... Under supervision, yeah. Supervision doesn't stop the day that you graduate. Mm. When you graduate as a vet, you just go out and do it. And you can end up in a practice that doesn't support you. And you can end up, you can be lucky mm. and end up in a practice that does, but you can end up in a practice that doesn't support you. And, um, you know, you can end up doing things, surgeries in the middle of the night with sometimes no nurse. Some, you know, it, mm. historically, but now I don't think that's allowed, but, um, you know, with a nurse and... A, I'm going to be honest, I have done surgeries as a new graduate with a book next to me um, in the middle of the night. Nobody wants that for their pet. Of course they don't, but this is what happens. Uh, uh, On that, though, it's kind of 
there needs to be tighter rules with regards to the Royal College and there needs to be, I think, them taking a far greater stand with regards to poor practice within practices. So just as an example, I, I have seen evidence of a vet that is registered with the Royal College doing a spaying on his own with no assistance, doing it with a YouTube, with a YouTube video. Yeah. Okay. And this was reported to the Royal College and their investigators saw it and still nothing was done. Yeah, well, I can, I can completely understand that. And, um, and th this is why I talk about the first four years. When, when I go into a practice now and I meet a, um, a four-year or a three-year graduate or a two-year graduate, I just want to give them a hug. <laughs> I really do, because it more is... More hugging for graduates. Yeah, more hugging for graduates, um, you know, because it is so hard. And then especially when you get to that kind of three, four years where you're supposed to really know what you're doing, but you haven't seen everything yet. Um, you know, but something walks through the door and you're on call and you haven't slept for 48 hours and you've got to deal with it and you try to phone your boss and they don't answer the phone. And it, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm... Some people have never seen a chinchilla before. <laughs> Some people have never seen a chinchilla before. Um, but it's, you know, how do you, de how do you deal with that? And then if something goes wrong, oh my God, when it goes wrong, how do you deal with that? Yeah. And I think that uh, you've got to remember out there as well that doctors train to look after one species. Vets train to look after every other species. Yeah. That's a really hard job. Yeah. Really hard job. And, that, you know, there's a shortage of vets at the moment. Um, it's in a bit of a... A bit of a pickle, so... Um, Is there a shortage because there's now so many more animals? <laughs> well... Well, there is because there's more co there's more veterinary colleges out there than there were when yes, I left school. I, I think I think the problem is that the reason why there's a shortage of vets it's not that there isn't a shortage there's there's new vets coming through, mm. but there's debate about um, the number but how long people stay in the veterinary profession. It's definitely under ten years now. Um, goes back to exactly what we talked about yeah. mental, mental health issues and financial issues something like the average is something like four years I think people staying in the profession and then leaving um, because it's just so hard um, mentally you know mental health wise and um, people are starting which is positive to choose themselves and to get out of something that's not working yep. for them but it's very sad for the uh, veterinary profession so something has to change Brilliant. Uh, on that note, we have gone on again for a nice short pod. If you listen to all of that, you're a saint. <laughs> and if you, listen to, listen to that. if you listen to all of that, then you should definitely get a pet because <laughs> you're dedicated. And if you have listened to all of that and you really enjoyed it, please uh, hit subscribe, send us a review, tell all your friends about it. Uh, there'll be more pods on the way with many more different subjects. So thank you for joining us. Let me remind you once again, if you want to contact us, we are askthingswiseandwonderful at gmail.com. Uh, there is a Facebook site. Please feel free to drop in some messages there. And we will look forward to having you as a listener next time. Hen, yeah. thank you very much indeed. No, thank you. And goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. I'm not